Good morning, Victory Church. Hey, y'all, y'all, are, y'all are doing good. Brian did a good job of getting you guys hyped up and getting you ready, getting you excited. Um, my name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, I want to take just a quick moment to say two quick things. One, I want to celebrate Malcolm, Andrea, and the team. I'm not quite sure who all were able to go. But this past weekend, there was an event in downtown Nashville called Hope Smiles. And it's led by uh, the, the, the dentist office that Malcolm works for where they were able to do free dental care. And a lot of you guys went and participated in what we provided was prayer for different people. And so I just want to take a moment. I just want to celebrate you, those of you that were there. On Saturday, giving up your time, a lot of people come and use their Saturday to set up church, and then they they went and did that and prayed for people. And I just, every opportunity I get, I like to celebrate the heart of this church, because you guys are such servants. You're you're so ready to help other people. That's why I'm excited about Trunk or Treat, because we get to help reach out to the community. And the second thing I want to talk about, last week was 101 in Growth Track, and we had 10 new people go to Growth Track. Come on and give God praise real quick, right? (coughs) Ten new potential family members joining the Dream Team. Uh, Look, if you're visiting with us for the first time or you've been coming for a while and hadn't really quite crossed that line into connection, Growth Track is that place where you kind of come and learn a little bit about the church, learn a little bit more about you, and then you kind of find the, the, the leadership style of the church, and you get to find your family, your tribe. You get to find the area that you serve in, the group of people that you connect with. Every morning we meet for breakfast, and I just love the family God's building here through our dream team. And so last week was 101. This week it's 201. And so if you say, hey, man, I missed 101. I guess I have to wait. Nope, you can jump right now, right after service today. You can go 30, 35 minutes. We'll watch your kids for you while you, while you go. Can I get an amen? right? So it's basically a date. You basically get to go on like a 35-minute date with your spouse. Um, And today is where we're going through some evaluations, and you get to learn a little bit more about you and how God designed you to be able to do something specific for the kingdom and just to impact people's lives. And so listen to me. If you're interested in knowing more about the church and kind of moving from your seat to your feet, as we say it, do me a favor, do yourself a favor, and right after service, go check out Grow Track. You'll have signs and people telling you where to go and learn a little bit about you and how you can be impactful for this church. Amen? You ready for the word? Do me a favor. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you were here last week, you would say, Pastor, that seems like the, the verse that, or the chapter that we were in last week. Yes, it was. We were in Luke 15, and we're going to kind of continue that today. So we are in a series right now called The Greatest Show. The Greatest Show is you're coming in, it's week four, and here's what The Greatest Show is about. We are looking at the irresistible Jesus, okay? The irresistible Jesus. When you study him in the New Testament, people constantly wanted to be around him. People who were nothing like him liked him. People just wanted to be around him. He was irresistible. And we asked this question, if Jesus was so irresistible, How come his church today seems so resistible, right? And then we brought up this thought. Is it possible that we've become so infatuated with the show, with everything that we're seeing, that we have somehow missed the root of the message? Is it possible that we've gotten so good with the show that we've missed out on the message all along? And so in the very first week, we talked about that the message of Jesus is this, grace, The message of Jesus is grace. And we believe that the church is most effective when the message of grace is most evident. And so we continue to look at grace and to look at Jesus. And here's what I've learned, that most of the time Christians and or the church, they don't really know what to do with grace. 
they, they don't fully understand it, and they can't quite contextualize it. And so sometimes we struggle on what to do with it. And so we've specifically taken this series for us to take a closer look at the man Jesus and his message, grace. And so in Luke 15, last week, if you were here, we looked at the prodigal son. This is a story about two sons, the prodigal son, which we looked at last week, who basically, to give you a real quick review in case you don't know the story, he goes to his dad. He says, hey, I want my money. I want my inheritance. I want it early. That was basically him saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Okay, takes his money, goes to Vegas, squanders it, spends it on gambling and prostitutes, comes back home because now he doesn't have any money, and he's coming home expecting a reception of shame, and he's met with a reception of grace and a reception of celebration. And it was just an incredible story of the Father's grace, of God's grace for you and I, and how we get in this mindset that when we mess up, we lose out on the promises of God, and that's not the case. So we're going to pick up Luke 15, verse 25 today, because like I said, this is a story of two sons. So last week we looked at the prodigal son, and this week we're going to look at the older son. And so verse 25 is where we pick up. The party's happening. They're celebrating the return, and the Bible says, meanwhile, everybody say meanwhile. Meanwhile. So while the party's happening, while the club is getting down, meanwhile, the older son is in the field. He's in the field. And when he comes near to the house, he hears music and dancing. Look, how good do you have to be dancing to hear it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is like Lord of the Dance clog type stuff, right? You know what I mean? Like, like he hears music and dance. Like, oh, they're getting down in there. What's going on? What's happening? They got some hot wings. and stuff. So he called one of the servants and he asked, what's going on? What's everybody partying about? Why, why are we doing the whip and nay-nay? What, 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 what is it? What, what, why are we so excited? What's going on? And this young man he's talking to says, hey, your brother has come. Your brother, remember your brother, he's come home. And he replied, your father has killed the fattened calf. We talked last week that this was in preparation for a big party. He's, he's killed the big, big meat. We're about to have cheeseburgers and barbecue because he has come back safe and sound. And the brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And now he's found. I think the best test for you and I to know if we fully understand grace is whether or not we know how to extend it. There are two sides to grace. There's the side of receiving it, and then there's the side of extending it. And we often find that receiving it is easier than extending it, right? But this morning, I want to talk to you about the flip side of grace. I want to talk to you about that other side. I want to talk to you about our ability to, yes, receive it, but even more than that, extend it, to to give it. And in order for us to fully understand and to fully grasp grace, we have to know how to extend it. And in order for us to be able to extend it, there's some things in our life we have to flip. Number one, we have to flip the way we see others. 
In order for us to be able to extend grace, we have to flip the way we see others. Let me set this up for you. So go back to the verse 25. The party's happening. The brother's coming home. And boom, he hears music. I had to assume. Y'all remember that song that came up with Lil John? where it was like, dun, 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 dun. okay. You know what I mean? Y'all remember that? Like, it had to be that kind of song. Like, DJ Callie's just in there going crazy. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't something. It wasn't musical. You know, it wasn't violin. Like, this was some, like, crunk music. Do we still use that word, crunk? <clears throat> I don't remember. We might have retired it a few years ago. But, but this, this party's happening, right? It's, it's just, it's happening. And he pulls up. And I did have this thought. Because if... It wasn't, but if this party had been a majority white party, here's what you would have heard. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Crisscross. Crisscross. See, you know what? Look, white people don't know how to dance, right? So the only thing we can do is we can only do what you tell us to do. So tell me, what do I do? What do I do? Put your left foot in. All right, I got you. Now pull your left foot back. Oh, this is great, right? Put your right foot in. Uh-huh. Now what? You better shake it all over. Oh, you know what I mean? So I just imagine this guy's pulling up, and you're hearing this music. Slide to the left. Slide. Reverse, reverse. No, it's too complicated. You know what I mean? I don't, that's two reverses. I don't, we just could have just stayed where we were. And so he's hearing all this, and he's like, what is going on? And there are these little kids. I did more studying on this. And normally what would happen is when a party like this would happen, the kids would stay outside. Can I get an amen? Don't eat my food. Don't bother me. Go play checkers. Go color. And you stay outside. Mom and dad about to party. And so he grabs one of the kids and he goes, what? What is going on? And this is when the kid responds and says, it's your brother. Your brother has come home. And he says this statement where he says that, and I want to make sure I read it correctly, where he's safe and sound. Now, to us, we understand what that means and how we use this verbiage. But in the Greek translation and in the Greek expression that was being used originally when this Bible was written, because it's since been translated into our language, if you go back to the Greek expression, what he was saying is your brother has been restored, healed, and changed. So safe and sound to us is like, hey, can you call me when you get home? It's raining outside. Hey, I'm home. I'm safe and sound. You know what I mean? Like nobody cares about that. But, but when he was saying he's restored, he's healed, but watch this, he's changed. So it wasn't just your brother has come back home to eat more of your food and to take more of your dad's money. It's he's changed. He's a different man. And when I read that and understood that, I thought, then surely the brother's response is, well, what? He's changed. Watch me whip, right? Watch me nay-nay. You know what I mean? Y'all ain't ready for that. Y'all ain't ready for that. I'll, I'll, I'll pack that back up. Y'all ain't ready for that quite yet. Uh, but I just, I, expect, I just, I pictured him celebrating, like, what? Yeah! You know, like, 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 I felt like he should have celebrated like the Cleveland Browns celebrated last week. Y'all seen this? They finally won a football game in the past 40 years, and everybody is, like, freaking out. I just expected this crazy celebration from him. And he becomes angry. Help me with this. Your brother's changed. He's a new man. He's restored. Let's celebrate. No, I'll just be angry about it. Anybody in here got somebody in your life that they're just negative all the time? You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't matter what's happening. They're just, they're always negative. It's just, you don't even want to be around them because they know how to destroy 
every situation. These are the people that when you go out to eat with and you get that cheeseburger and this is like your cheat meal, right, and you're about to bite in this cheeseburger and you go to bite in and they're like, you understand that the diseases in that meat, they will fester into your brain for years before they ravish your body. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Let me eat my burger. You know what I mean? <clears throat> these are the people that like the, the, the work, the job you work at throws a birthday party for you and you got ice cream cake because let's be honest, Life is ice cream cake, right? And so you go into, somebody's happy. So you go into the meeting, <coughs> and you begin to eat the ice cream cake, and it's that person who's over there going, did you hear they're talking about laying off people? <laughs> like, would you just get somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, you're, 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 you're out under the sun, you're at the poolside, you're sunbathing, and they're like, you understand that too much sun exposure will cause growth in moles. You know, and I'm just like, would you, you know, and they're just negative in every situation. You know, they're just known for being negative. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? If they're here, point at No, I'm just kidding. Don't point at them. But, but they're just, every situation is negative. They're just known for negativity. Can I ask you a question? How come Christians today are known more for criticizing perfection than celebrating progress? Why are we known for criticizing perfection instead of celebrating progress? Because religion, watch this, religion, if you let it, it'll have you complaining about the volume of music instead of celebrating a lost son coming home. What's this music? What are you, what are y'all, are, are you partying in here? What are you partying for? I'm partying because someone came home. But that's too loud. You need to turn that down. Is that, is that a DJ? Do you have a DJ in there? Yeah, because my son has come home. Religion will do that to you. I, I think we have been taught as a people to celebrate a finished product. Walk with me for a moment. Clap when it's over, right? When, when, when you've put it together, let's celebrate. Once, once you are perfect, then we can celebrate your perfection. Once you have arrived, once you are holy, you know, once you, once you can, 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 can uh, memorize multiple verses and break down Hebrew and Greek and the, the, theology, and then we will celebrate because it's a finished product. But Paul said, I'm on my process, I'm on my walk, and I have yet to reach my finish line because I won't reach my finish line until I'm dead. You know, I heard this story, blew my mind. A couple guys I know got the opportunity to go set with Billy Graham just probably about, ended up being about four or five days before he died, okay? So they're with him. They're hanging out with him up in his room. He's kind of bedridden at the time. Y'all familiar with Billy Graham? He's preached a sermon before. And so um, they're talking to him, and they said, what's your, what's your biggest prayer? What's your biggest mindset right now, you know, in your life? And he said, I'm just concerned that I will fall away in my walk before my time. This dude's like 80-something years old, 90-something years old, been following God for a crazy amount of years, and, and death is on the doorstep. And he recognizes that his walk is still not over, that it's still a process, that he hasn't finished yet, that until the day he dies, he's still moving, that he's not finished. So what that tells me is if we keep waiting to celebrate a finished product, we'll never celebrate anything. Right? We, 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 as long as we're waiting for it to be done, it doesn't work that way. So we have to learn to celebrate progress. 
Celebrate steps. A pastor that I, I follow that I just love to death. He's such a great guy. Pastor church in Birmingham, Alabama. His name is Chris Hodges. called Church of the Highlands. Look into it. It's phenomenal. And he was talking about how their church plant started. So the church runs about 40,000 people right now. And they planted it. It was about, I don't know, 20-something years ago. They planted it in a school just very similar to this. And so he was talking about this season of his church. And he said one day he was getting ready to come out to preach. And his worship team had got done leading worship. And there was like an area kind of similar to here. Y'all have never seen back here. But you can go this way and go outside. So it was kind of set up like that. And some people who were visiting church that day or had been coming to church walked up to him. And they said, Pastor... We saw the worship team outside right after worship was over. Pastor Chris said, oh, you didn't? They go, yeah, they were smoking. Pastor Chris said, what were they smoking? And they said they were smoking cigarettes. Pastor Chris said, whoa, God's working on them. Get it? Because they were smoking weed, you know what I mean? Now it's cigarettes. And so he was watching, he was celebrating the progress in them. You see what I mean? Celebrating the progress. I understand they hadn't reached perfection, but I'm going to celebrate the progress in the process because the devil would love for you and I to not celebrate small steps because if we don't acknowledge and celebrate small victories, we will dwell on small defeats. How many of you have small children that are learning to walk? Anybody in here have? Nope, nobody? Y'all need to get... Y'all don't read your Bible? It says multiply, multiply, and grow, grow the church. How many of you have had kids that are, that are now walking, and you remember the season where you were teaching them how to walk, right? Y'all remember that? Okay. Here's how, that, here's how I remember that looking. They're on the ground. They start to stand up, right? And they're like, you know, and mom and dad are there going like, oh, my gosh, honey, look. Oh, my gosh, yay. And you start the whole like, you're doing it, baby. You're doing it. And she's like, ah, 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 boom. And you know what I noticed? No parent ever goes, you idiot. You can't even walk from the couch to the TV. Get up, get up. I'm, I'm dis, get up, get back over there. You know what I mean? Or when they start to stumble, like, can you not walk straight? What, what's wrong with you? It doesn't work that way. What do we do? We celebrate the progress. You're doing it. You're doing it. Come on. Oh, you fell. That's okay. Come here, baby. Whoop, come here. Daddy's so proud. Daddy's so proud. There you go. Whoop, go again. Baby, get the video camera. Get all, get the VCR, the DVD, the iPhone. Get it all. We're sending it to grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. Watch. Here she goes. Whoa, she took a step. They celebrate the progress because we understand as human beings that if we were to, to constantly criticize their walk, they would stop trying to walk. But when we celebrate their progress, they get excited about the little progress that they've made, and it encourages them and excites them to want to keep stepping and keep moving. When you celebrate the progress, I know he still cusses, but guess what? He comes to church on Sunday. Let's celebrate his progress. I know she don't need to be wearing that, but at least she's wearing it to church on Sunday. I mean, keep on celebrating. I know they only pray for three minutes, but they used to not pray for no minutes. Come on, let's celebrate for a moment and watch them walk because when you celebrate the progress, the progress continues to build, and before you know it, they start to walk on their own, and it's not because of criticism. It was always because of celebration. Celebration, right? And when we flip the way we see other people, we will find ourselves looking for progress instead of perfection. And we'll find ourselves spending time celebrating instead of criticizing.
We didn't read this particular verse in Luke 15. We skipped over it to get to the prodigal son. But in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says something that I thought was pretty profound. He says, I tell you. In other words, listen up. Look at me. You know, when you tell your, you know when you're about to tell your kids something real serious? Go, look at me. This is what Jesus was saying. Look at me. I tell you. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. That's heaven. What's happening? There's rejoicing in heaven over the individual who attends church every Sunday. No, that's not what it says? Okay. There's rejoicing over the individual who understands how to translate Hebrew to English. No, that's not what it says. There's rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Repentance is the process that creates progress. It's the walk. Oh, I fail. That's all right. Side up. Side. You'll do better next time. Don't do that next time. Do this. Okay, 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 okay. You start to build progress. And I love that Jesus says heaven rejoices. Heaven's got the DJ now. Now the celebration happened. The party has happened. Everybody's rejoicing. When you understand the concept of grace and you understand the celebration of progress, it's easier for you to celebrate others when they see progress. But when we are insecure in who we are and our relationship with the Father, we are hard-pressed to celebrate someone else's progress because we're insecure with who we are. But when I understand that my daddy celebrates every step I take, then when I look at my brother and sister who are trying to walk too, I don't judge their walk, I celebrate it. Somebody needs to tweet that. When Darla and I first moved here, we were wanting to get Veda into stuff. Veda's my eight-year-old, if you're visiting. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, Casey Ray, Veda Bell. We wanted to get Veda involved in stuff, and so she showed an interest in softball. And so I said, okay, why not? Let's do it. And so we set out in what I'm pretty sure is equivalent to hell. Uh, it, it, was, it was ridiculous amount of degrees out in the summer and um, watching eight-year-olds play softball. You can connect those dots. And we're sitting there playing. And so, so let me just be honest with you. My daughter's not the best softball player, okay? She's, she's okay because my wife is naturally athletic. So my daughter's kind of okay at anything. But like every other eight-year-old girl, First of all, she was the only girl on the team. Girls rule, right? That's what I'm talking about. She was out there with a pink helmet, like, do something. You know what I mean? She was just, and so she's out, she's doing great, and she was learning, she was doing better, but she tended to get distracted, look at butterflies, and the ball would go by, that whole story. Um, <clears throat> so up to this point, she had never really hit the ball. She had struck out a lot, but she had never really made contact with the ball. And so it's like the fifth or sixth game of the season. This one's at night, praise God. And so it's a little bit, you know, it's like 110 instead of 150. And so we're out there. And we're losing bad, and it's Veda's time to bat. And she comes up to the bat, and Mama's over there coaching her, and uh, her poppy, her, her grandfather was in town, and he's a coach, and so he's coaching her, walking her through stuff, and, you know, you need to swing at this. I'm loving my eight-year-old's looking, and I'm like, can I go play? Like, you know, and so she's got the bat, and they get ready, and it's, I don't even remember, it was some of those little soft pitches, you know, and, and it pitches, and swing, whoop, strike. And I'm out on the bench, like, man, I really want her to, really want her to hit this. And so... I start to pray, no lie, start to pray, like, God, can she just, can she hit one? Can she just hit one? And so 
here comes pitch two, and boom, strike. I'm like, all right, no lie, pitch three comes. And there might have been a couple of balls or whatever, and, and, and throws it, and boom, connects. And it goes right into about the midfield. And she takes off of her little legs running to first base, okay? She gets to first base, and the base coach is waving her on. Keep going, keep going. And so she goes past first base, and she starts going to second base. Well, by the time she gets to second base, you know, the little kids are running to get the ball. They don't know what they're doing, right? And so they pick up the ball, and they're like, what, what? And by now, the kid throws it and totally outthrows his, I don't know baseball, so that guy. And outthrows him, and it goes past him. And so the second base coach Waves Veda on again. Keep going. So now she's rounding third, y'all. She's rounding third. And by the time, you know, the coaches look up, the ball is like on a whole other place. And the kids are over there like playing tic-tac-toe in the sand. You know what I mean? And so they wave her on. She gets an M Park home run. That's not even the best part. I'm outside of the fence like, is this real life? You know what I mean? Like, is this really happening? Like, God, you do hear prayers. And so she's rounding, and she comes into first base, and here was the favorite part, my favorite part. When she touched home plate, everybody that was in her team's pool, bullpen or, or cage or whatever, they come running out. Like, they're running out. Like, ah! And this was, oh, my gosh, I'll never forget this to the day I die. The head coach, who I had never spoken a word to, runs up and grabs Veda under her arms and lifts her up. He's a tall guy, lifts her up above his head, and he just, I'm so proud of you. I'm, and his poor little wife is just sitting there going, so, and all little kids are cheering, everything. And, y'all, I have a clear view of my daughter's face. And she, I've never seen her smile so big in my life. And so as you can imagine, I just begin to weep. I'm just crying because I'm so moved by this moment for her because she's being celebrated and she knows it. And people that she doesn't even, they are, she has done something good. She's made some progress. She's being celebrated. And here's what I learned. When you celebrate a child, you'll always get the satisfaction of the father. When we celebrate one another, we bring satisfaction to our father. When he sees us celebrating our brothers and sisters, and you see that moment on their face where they're recognizing and understanding that I, I did something good. Can I tell you the secret that the devil has over our world is to convince us that we're never good. And I get it. We're not. But we're in Christ. And so we walk in his victory and in his holiness and his righteousness. And so if there's ever a moment where you can get a little celebration, you may not be perfect, but I'm going to celebrate your progress. And I can't celebrate your progress until I flip the way I see you. What would happen if just us, if we became known for celebrating progress instead of criticizing perfection? I guarantee you one thing, there'd be more people walking forward than stopping and moving backwards. I know we're all tired of being criticized. What we don't get a lot is celebrated. And that's what this was showing us. Let me tell you this, real quick, this is off the notes. If you say they don't deserve to be celebrated, well, I might get into my second point, but I do want to share this. The party was not for the prodigal son. 
the party was for the father. It wasn't for the son, it was for the father. If I celebrate you, I'm not celebrating you. I'm celebrating God's work in you. I'm celebrating the father. Make sense? So we have to flip the way we see other people. Number two, we have to flip the way we see ourselves. Flip the way we see ourselves. So verse 28 starts like this. The older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. So he refuses to go into the party altogether. I'm not going in there. Ain't no way. I don't even like that music. I'm not going in there. And so his father goes out to him. It's another picture of the grace of the father. He leaves the party and goes to him and pleads with him. But watch how he answers his father. Look. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I'd have got pimp smacked if I'd have told my mom or dad, look, right? Look. Who are you talking to? Look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What? I love the exaggeration here. Never disobeyed your orders. There's not a parent in here who has a child who's never disobeyed them. He's lying. Of course you've disobeyed him. You might not have disobeyed him recently, but you did disobey him. So don't get it twisted, okay? You did disobey him. And then I love this. He says, I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even Gave me a young goat. Can we have parent counseling just for a moment? You ever had your kids say, you've never done anything for me? You never buy me anything. You know when my kids say that, here's what I do. I walk over, I walk outside, and I look up at my, our house, and I go, <laughs> say something else. You, not, you didn't buy me any. Come here. Stop talking. Come here. Walk into that pantry. Open that pantry where all that bread and peanut butter and jelly is. Say something else. You never, you never bought me anything. Hey, did you sleep on the floor tonight? No, I slept on my... Don't say another word. Yes, he's exaggerating. Obviously, his father has celebrated. We read last week that his father gave him his inheritance, which was two-thirds of the father's estate. So, yes, he has something, but here's what I've learned. Often, if you and I are having difficulty extending grace to someone else, it's because we have an incorrect view of ourselves. Say that again. When you and I have difficulty extending grace to someone, it's because we have an incorrect view of ourselves. The older brother thought he was better than the younger brother. The older brother thought he was deserving of his father's grace, and he thought his younger brother was undeserving of his father's grace. Now, we never do that, right? There's, never a, there's not, not a person in our lives that, that we treat that way. There's not a situation where we don't show grace because secretly we think we deserve it, right? I, I thought that. I thought, man, that, that ain't me. I don't know. And the Lord said, let me tell you one experience, and I'm going to share it with you. Can I confess to you this morning? Do I have the freedom to just kind of like lay it out, and you, you'll have to give me some, some high fives and some really embraced hugs after service is over for, for this kind of conversation? So there was one situation in my life that the Lord brought to my mind that happens quite frequently, and it happens a lot more now that I've moved to the Nashville area, where I really struggle showing grace. And I'm going to share it with you, and I'm going to see if any of you can relate with me. So when I'm traveling on the interstate, 
it gets so much worse. And this one particular time I'm thinking of, I was coming from the Murfreesboro area. We live off of Exit 70, Almaville Road. I'm coming to Exit 70. And this happens a lot here, where there's construction, so they start to close lanes. You know what I mean? So it's like a four-lane interstate, and then you go a little bit of distance, and now there's like a three-lane interstate. You go a little bit more distance, now there's two-lane, and there's one lane. I'm a Christian, so I recognize that and go ahead and get into the lane that's open. That makes sense, right? If everybody did this, we wouldn't be in a traffic jam, let's be honest. But what happens, and some of you may be in this room, so, uh, you know, don't, don't let me talk bad about you. But there are an occasional group of people who think they are better than me and that they should be able to drive past me. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting there kind of scooting around, people just shoom, shoom. Where, where are you going? And what they do is they ride until the absolute road doesn't exist anymore and put on their blinker. If you would have got over when the signs that the construction company puts out told you to, we wouldn't be in this situation. But at some point, you thought you were better than me, and you went around, and now everybody has to wait and stop so that you can get over into our lane. And because of you, we are now sitting here for an hour. And I struggle having grace for those people. And God told me one day, he said, why? I said, what do you mean, why? They're idiots. He said, no, no, no. Why do you struggle having grace? Because it's bad, y'all. It's bad. Like, I'm for real. Y'all might want to pray for me after service. It's bad. And I'm like, why? why? And God said, here's why. Because you don't think they deserve it, and you think you do. You think you deserve to move forward because you got back in line back there, and you don't think they deserve to get in here. Don't be silent on me. Y'all don't, don't pretend to be holy and spiritual. Don't pretend like y'all don't ease up not to let people get over. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't, yeah, like you're not even looking at them like, Oh, sorry. Maybe behind me. Maybe behind me. Maybe, yeah, yeah. She'll let you over. She'll let you over. <laughs> Idiot. You know what I mean? You, you don't think they deserve it because you've been waiting. You've been waiting. Listen, the only time we struggle extending grace is when we think they don't deserve it and we do. Self-righteousness will make you believe that there is somebody out there worse than you. And it will eventually make you believe you deserve what you have. Y'all know those people that when you label them, you label them like this? Man, they're out there. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Man, that person's out there. They, they're out there. Something wrong with them. They're, by what standard do we decide that? What makes them out there? Can I tell you what the standard is? We wouldn't do it. Right? As long as people are doing the bad things we are doing, oh, they deserve grace. But the moment they go beyond how crazy we would get, ooh, they out there. Something wrong with them. They're out there. Because self-righteousness will make you believe that there are people worse than you. And there is nobody on this planet worse than you. And I know that sounds a little off, but there's nobody on this planet worse than me. Every one of us are equally unqualified. But we were equally qualified by the blood of Christ.
there's an interaction with this father and son that, I, man, God is such, he's a gangster with a capital G. You know what I mean? Like when you see things he says, it just blows my mind. So let me show you, verse 29, here's how the son responds, okay? So the son is talking about his younger brother, all this situation. He says, look, you never even gave me a young goat. Never gave me a young goat. I love this. You never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. <laughs> never let me celebrate with my friends. <sighs> never once, Dad. You didn't take us to the bowling alley. Make me, uh, make me sick. But when this, here's what I love. When this, can y'all put this verse behind me so they can see it? I'm like, but when this son of yours, <laughs> I love that. But when this son of yours, not that verse, the next verse, the verse before it. When this son of yours, that's the way he describes him. When this son of yours, here's what he's doing. This guy who has no relation to me, he didn't call him brother. When this son of yours, because I'm better than him. And every time we look up at ourselves, we'll always look down at other people. When this son of yours, you gave him a filet mignon, you didn't even give me a burger. You didn't even give me a crystal chick. I could spin with my friend. You'll make me sick. This, this son of yours. And I tell you all, this father is so gangster. And I know it because he's, he's God in this story. And look at what he says. His response, like, I just wish I could translate this to my child the next time I want to burn her. You know what I mean? It's just uh, not literal burn. Don't start, you know, things on social media. But we had to celebrate and be glad. It's the father talking. Oh, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. Did you see that? I can't, ew, I can't believe, Jenny, I cannot believe we are celebrating this, 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 this son of yours. He said, please, bro. Listen, this brother of yours. Here's what he was saying. The brother was saying, I'm deserving. He's undeserving. The father was saying, you are both undeserving because neither one of you earned your position to begin with. You're only here because you are my son. You and I are only here because we are his son and daughters. We don't deserve grace. There's never a point where I deserve something that you don't deserve or vice versa. It doesn't matter. I understand all of the Bible reading. I understand it all. But grace tells me there's never a point where I'm deserving and you're not. There's only a place where you and I are both equally undeserving. One day, I told Darla, I said, hey, I want to go and take Veda out on a daddy-daughter date. I want to just have some time with her. We'll try to do this occasionally. And I found this coupon on, uh, online somewhere. for It's a coupon is how you say it. Um, for pizza, for Chuck E. Cheese, for Chuck E. Cheese. And the coupon was this, that for 20 bucks, you could get a card where you could play nonstop games for an hour, okay? Like, genius, right? Oh, my goodness. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go buy two, and she can play for an hour, and I can play for an hour, because when you put me in a video game store, I go crazy, okay? It's just like instantly from 33 to 3, just like that. And so I was excited. We went. We got, I got my card. I got her card, and we begin to play. And then I had a very intelligent thought. When my daughter gets done playing games, she's going to want to do what? Does anybody know at Chuck E. Cheese? She's going to want to spend what? Tickets. Hallelujah. Y'all are prophets. She's going to want to spend tickets. My daughter's not going to play any games to win tickets. She doesn't think that way. She's out here to have fun, right? But then afterwards, she's going to be like, where are my tickets? And so I said, let me spend my hour earning her tickets. 
So I'll spend my hours, a whole other message on grace. I'll spend my hour, Jesus spent his life, right? We ain't going to go there. I'm going to spend my hour earning her tickets while she goes and has fun. So there's this one game I found that I was really good at. I kind of figured out the pattern, and I would win tickets every once in a while, 75, this, that, that. And I caught the attention of a family. There was a family sitting over here, four kids, husband, wife. And the husband saw what I was doing and just got interested and kind of walked over and was watching me walk, play the game. The game, if you've ever seen it, like these blocks come across, and you hit a button, and it stops the block, and the goal is to stack the blocks, and if you get to the top, you win. Okay? You're welcome. And so... He comes over, and he comes to watch the game. And now he's watching me play, and I, I, lose, I lose just as much as I win. I'm winning tickets, and he's watching. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, are, do you want to turn? Because I've been here for like an hour. You know, you, you want to turn? I, I can move. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just watching. I don't, have, I don't have the money. I said, oh, man. And so I scam a card. I said, bro, I got like 20 more minutes. Go, play. And he's like, oh, no, no. I said, man, play. And so he plays around, and he wins like three or four tickets. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want your tickets. You take your tickets. Like, you know, give them to your kids. And four kids, four tickets, he ain't getting much. You know what I mean? And, but, and so, you know, he, he would go back and eat pizza, and I'd get back to playing. And then he'd come back and watch, and I'd go, play again. I'd scam a car, and he'd play again. He'd probably play three or four times. And eventually the hour was up, and me and Veda take our tickets, and we go and run it through the little machine that eats your tickets. And then it shoots out this little ticket, and it said we had 335 tickets. I said, ooh, girl, you're welcome because you earned two of these. And so we go to the little, you know, toy store on crack and um, where they literally took the dollar store and added zeros, but we won't go there. And, um, <coughs> and we're standing there, and one family, big kids, they're, they're looking at the toys, and there's one employee working this booth. And, yeah, and so she's, she's helping them, and we're just kind of standing there, you know, being patient as waiting on the Lord. And this new employee comes in. And I see she's motioning to us, like, I'm, I'm going to help you. So we step up, and she looks right at Veda, and she goes, um, you have 582 tickets. I said, hmm, that don't sound right. And say it to her, said to myself, right, I'm not stupid. And so <coughs> I'm like, <coughs> I start kind of looking around. I'm like, what, what happened? And I notice that the family before me, they took their little ticket, and they put it on the glass case, and then they started serving them, and they left the ticket on the glass case. So when this woman walked in, she thought that was my ticket. I said, cool. Yeah. I mean, grace ain't fair. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, <laughs> so Veda's like, Dad? And I'm like, baby, you got 582 tickets. Spend them. You know what I'm saying? And so she spends all the tickets, and, and it took forever, as you know. And we get ready to leave, and she's going towards the door. I said, home, baby, we got to do something. She said, what are you doing? I said, just come me for a second. Because what I didn't do is I didn't go to the lady, hey, I have another ticket for 330 more tickets. Can you add it on so I can have 800 and something? I just kind of kept it in my hand. And we walked into the door, and I walked over to that family that I'm talking about with four kids, and I handed him this ticket. And he was like, what is that? I was like, these, we, these are the tickets. It's like 330. I know it's not a lot, but it'll get your kids something. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, no, you don't understand, man. They gave me tickets that weren't mine. So you get to have tickets that aren't yours. I was undeserving of what I got. So it makes sense to me that you should be undeserving of what you get. I didn't earn grace, but I got it. So I don't have any problem extending the grace that I've been shown. I didn't deserve 500 tickets, and he didn't deserve 300 but we both got it because of the principle 
of grace. Jesus didn't die so that you and I could get what we deserved. He died so that you and I could get what he deserves. So you have to flip the way you see, and then you have to flip the way you see yourself. Because as long as I see me as undeserving, I don't have any problem extending it to you. Last, we have to learn to flip how we see the Father. So you flip how you see other people, you flip how you see yourself, and then you flip how you see the Father. <clears throat> when I began to study, Darla and I got away Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, just to kind of get our minds right and be alone together for a couple days so we could get ready for the next season of what's coming for us as a church. And um, came back Thursday, and my, my study time was, was extremely shortened. And so I just began to just really kind of go after God with, with what he was showing me. I knew I wanted to preach on the prodigal's brother. And I got to this part right here. Can you go ahead and put that verse up? I got to this verse, and I got to the father's response. Because when the brother's saying all this, the father then looks at him, and he says, um, my son, the father said, you're always with me. You can put that next verse on, 29 through 32. This is the father's response to him. You are always with me. So the brother is struggling, extending grace, and the father's response to him is, you are always with me. And so I begin to ask God, what, what does that mean? Explain that to me. Because in this story that you prep to be able to explain grace, because understand this, when Jesus says this story, he's talking to both the religious and the non-religious. He's talking to both Pharisees and tax collectors and sinners. So when the tax collectors and sinners heard the prodigal son, they saw themselves, right? Now he knows he's got an audience that includes Pharisees and religious people, so now he brings up the prodigal's brother. This is not a real story. Jesus made this up. I think Jesus last minute added the brother and the extremity of the brother to be able to express to the Pharisees and the religious people, here's where you fit in the story. So they're struggling, showing grace. And the father's only response to them is you have always been with me. And so I'm praying, like, God, what does that mean? Break that down for me. Open that up for me. Minister to me. What is that? Explain that to me. Because right now all I have is a few words on a page. But I know you meant so much more, so explain that to me. The first thing he brought to my attention is that you see right off the bat that the brother's relationship with his father is um, out of whack because you can tell the brother thinks the relationship is based off of works. Do you notice he said, I've slaved for you? I've slaved for you. He's talking about his relationship with the father like some of us talk about our jobs. I slaved for you. So now it's not relationship, it's works, right? But then, I, I'm, I'm going to come down. I, I'm going to come down. It's going to be better illustrated. Thank you, sir. be better illustrated down here. So what ends up happening is the prodigal, I'm sorry, the brother is comparing the grace that has been shown to his brother to the grace that's been shown to him, Right? And he's got an issue with it. And I started thinking, and this is what I feel like the Lord told me. His number one problem is he saw forgiveness as the gift. Okay? Walk with me for a second. Gifts come in different sizes, right? So does grace. 
so does forgiveness. Let me explain. Some of you, you got saved at four, got baptized at six, you were sure at eight, in the youth group at nine, played drums at 11. You know what I mean? You've been following God your entire life. And I understand you've made some bumps and some bruises, and I get it. But for the most part, you've been faithful to God's relationship in your life. Anybody, anybody said that's, that's my story? Like, that's kind of my story. I was raised that way. Is that right? Come here for a second, Jenny. <coughs> stand, stand. So for Jenny, forgiveness might look kind of small. And I'm not talking about you specifically because I know your heart. I know you don't think this way. But if we haven't done a lot of bad stuff, right? I don't really have a testimony. You ever heard somebody say that? I don't really have a testimony. I never, I never really went through some stuff. And so what we tend to see is we tend to see the grace of God and, and the forgiveness of God and that gift from the Father as kind of a, a small gift. Then there's some of us. You were running from the police trying to get here this morning. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you coming straight out the fryer. You are, you are hot. And, and so for you, you hold that one second. That's not representation of you. But for some of you, it's a, anybody story like that? Anybody story like that? All right, come here. All right, look. I preach this message. Come here. I preach this message. You in mind, brother. <coughs> you had no idea that God was about to use you to, to change people's lives. So when you've been through some stuff, been through some stuff, a little bit. When, when, when you've been through some stuff, and then you find God, and you understand the grace of God, and the forgiveness of God, that seems really big. You know what I mean? For me, I, I'm kind of in the middle. So, some of you know my story. I, I, I was, I was unchurched till 17, unsaved till probably 33. Uh, kidding. Uh, 20 maybe <clears throat> before I really lived for the Lord. But I never did drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Not because I'm a good person, but because I didn't like the way it tasted, to be honest with you. My dad drank. I would taste beer. didn't like the way it tasted. didn't want anything to do with it. Drug-wise, let me just be honest with you, I never wanted to not be in control of what I do. And that's what drugs do to you, right? They make you not in control of what you're doing. I never wanted that. And so it was easy for me to say no to it, but I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't saved. I still had a lot of bad tendencies and, and thoughts. And so for me, when I met Grace, it was kind of in the kind of in the middle. You know what I mean? Can you put yourself in one of these three categories? Everybody? Some of you over here with even we'd have to wrap this thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just hey, can we wrap the screen? I just want to know, can we put a bow on the screen? And so we kind of find ourselves. But watch this. When we believe that the gift is forgiveness, we'll begin to compare gifts. Take some comfort. Hold my gift for a second. Tim's box would have to be the size of a ring box, but I'm just kidding. Um, and if, let me see, is this okay? Can I do this? Okay, thank you. Um, when, when the gift is the gift, Jenny will start to look at Jimmy and say, man, why did he get that big gift? Why did he get that? I've been saved since I was two. 
prophesied at three, preached my first sermon at four, was on the deacon board at seven. Why does Jimmy get that? I only get this. Or, or you could be Tim or me or whoever's in this category. And it works both ways, right? You have the man. Jimmy's gift. You probably got a sweater. Jimmy probably got the new Xbox. Look at that. And you might even look at Jenny and be like, <laughs> loser. No. But isn't it funny that the older brother was comparing his gift with the younger brother? prostitutes and eating steak and gambling and all and, and he comes back and the first day he comes back he gets this because when that's the gift to you it's all about comparison and you struggle with extending grace to people because you are insecure in the gift you were given all along and here's what I heard God say to me and listen to me church as the father said you've been with me all this time, here's what God was saying. Tim, you stay right there. This is not the gift. The Father is the gift. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the gift that was given by the Father, and the entire time the Father was the gift. So, Troy, what are you talking about? Scoot over a little bit. Get, get, no, that's your wife. You go over here. Sit, sit down. Put that, put that down. Sit. <coughs> come close, come close, come close, come close. He said, you have been here the whole time. You have been here the whole time. You have been in the present presence of the present the whole time. You're just, your perspective was wrong. Your gift is being in the presence of the Father. And when he left, when your son left, he lost out on the greatest gift. No, it wasn't my money. No, it wasn't that cow. Are you kidding me? Look, black bean burgers are way better anyway. You know what I mean? Like this, it wasn't that. It was the presence of the Father. And so when He comes back, you didn't get different gifts. He's just now in the presence of it. And you could have sat down with me all along. Father, and we understand that the gift is his presence, we have no problem inviting other people to it. 
There's never been a time in my life, church, that my eight-year-old has been in my lap and that my three-year-old comes in and I go, nope. No, no, no. She's in my lap. You didn't do your chores. Go on. If you're a father, I have girls, you know what that's like. I'm like, if you don't get your little tail up here on this couch so that I can love on you, you know what that's like. You got three girls. Come here, let me, let me hold you. God's lap is never crowded. There will never be a moment where the father will say, nope, nope. Yep. Come, 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 set, set, set. Because the gift is the Father. How could we ever hold back grace if we understand that grace is simply being in the presence of the Father? statement come to my mind in prayer and preparation for today and I'm going to say it and then we'll pray. You just got to let your spirit deal with you. The statement was this, the king is among us. The king is among us. That, my friends, is what all of this is all about. Beginning in the presence of the Father, understanding that he is among us. Lord, I thank you for who you are, for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you that when I read about the Father in Luke 15, I see you all throughout it. But God, the revelation you gave me of how we assign that title of gift to the wrong thing and how all along the gift was you it was you and I want to challenge you in here this morning if, if that's you, you say listen I, I've never quite thought about it like that and I can honestly say I don't have a relationship with the Father never quite understood that this Christian Christianity or this religion thing is all about just having a relationship with the Father. If that's you, look, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you and just tell you, the Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. You don't invite Jesus into your life. He brings you into his. So do me a favor, every, every, every head bowed, eye closed. Real quick, just... 
I want to know this. If you just say, listen, Troy, I have never committed my life to Jesus. It's my first time at a church or come a lot, but don't quite understand it. And I'm the brother who has had access to the Father all along and have never taken advantage of it. Would you raise your hand for me? Just let me see for a second. Just let me see for a second, real quick. Good. Awesome. Second, you're in this place and look, there's been times, ups and downs, ups and downs that you've had with the Lord and this entire series has been to express to you the grace of God. And all I'm telling you is this, quit making excuses. Begin to acknowledge his presence and begin to live for him, amen? I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do real cool, quick. Everybody stay with me, everybody stay with me. I, I think it'd be cool to do something real quick, not gonna embarrass you, but I think I wanna do it for me. I think it'd be cool for you. I don't know, if, if maybe you could be with me. This, this series has been eye-opening for me on my relationship with God and the grace. And I just think it'd be cool to kind of recommit ourselves to Christ. Just kind of a moment of like, okay, I'm getting a different perspective and I'm starting to understand that the King is among us. That you're right here. And, and I want to kind of change my perspective and start bringing more attention to just understanding that the gift is the Father. Can we do that? Y'all cool with that? If you don't want to do it, it's fine. You can sit back down. But I just, just kind of close your eyes, however you might do it. I'm not here to instruct you or direct you. Just however you might whisper, you might raise your hand. You might, I, I, I tell you what, uh, go ahead and play something. Band, get up here real quick. I don't, I, I'm so sorry. Get up here real quick. That's what happens when you start letting God have his service. He'll just do stuff. And just real quick, just close your eyes, however you might do it. Just have a moment. God, I'm starting to understand your grace. I'm starting to understand your message. I'm starting to understand who you are, how our relationship works. And God, right now, I just want to kind of recommit myself to you. You've opened up my eyes. You've opened up my heart. You've given me a new perspective on you. And God, I just kind of want to be kind of a fresh start. Anybody just need a fresh start? Just need a fresh start. I, I, I know I'm not always good. I know I don't always do the right things. But can I just have a fresh start? Just a fresh start. For every person in here who, who that forgiveness for you was the big gift, man, praise God that he delivered you from that but it's still about him. For every person for forgiveness for you is the small gift and you, you know, you've, been, you've been in church your whole life. Listen, who cares? It's still all about him. It's just about him, relationship with him, presence with him. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to just for a second, however you might do, to yourself. We're not gonna lead you I just want to give you 60 seconds, 60 seconds. Just kind of recommit yourself and then just for a moment, this band's going to take us back just for a little bit, just to give you an opportunity to worship for a moment.
Lord, we come to you right now. And we take just a second to acknowledge your grace and your mercy. God, the relationship that's made available to us through Jesus. And we're so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful for your sacrifice. God, you are moving us into a realm where we extend more grace, but in order for us to be able to extend grace, we have to fully understand grace. And so we just recommit ourselves to you. Recommit our relationship to you. Focus our mind. Band, take us through just a little bit. Take us through forever for just a moment. Just give us the opportunity to worship. Give us the opportunity to put him on a throne, the throne he deserves to be on. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, and we just begin to worship you. Hallelujah. It's all about you, and it's always been about you. 